0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Win-Win Podcast. The timing of the guests that we've had on the podcast this season has been really interesting and more relevant than ever. Every day, but especially every week, I read news roundups, and I honestly can feel helpless about making the kind of change that can move the needle on the suffering and the political turmoil happening globally. Frankly, my instinct is to disassociate sometimes, but through my own lived experiences, I know how important it is to engage with difficult problems in the global sphere when the thing you want to do most is to disconnect. The podcast and its guests have really raised the role of ESG and DEI in our companies and the responsibility of innovation leaders in taking it on. Sarah Luxley of Minder recently spoke about building ESG initiatives and belonging by going inside of different companies as a strategic consultant and SaaS provider. And today's guest, Alyssa Beck, who is also the CEO and founder of Kindred, discusses the external community that she's built for leaders that are committed to advancing ESG and DENI. I would be lying if I didn't admit that sometimes I've written off CSR or social corporate responsibility as a means for corporations to give lip service but through conversations with many of my guests and as well as my own professional experience, I realize the immense power it can have in enabling innovation and culture. And of course the immense power it can have in changing the world that so desperately needs our attention. I hope that this episode will energize you and provide you the right tools regardless of your involvement with ESG and DE&I currently and that things are safe and stable wherever you are tuning in from. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Hi, Zoya. Thank you so much for having me. Today is going to be a lot of fun. We have so many different things to cover, whether that is ESG or environmental social governance, your entrepreneurship journey with Kindred where you are co-founder and interim CEO, and of course, all things innovation. So before starting Kindred about two and a half years ago, you had a long-standing tenure at BuzzFeed. And I have to say, as a millennial, I hold two things sacred to my heart, and that is Harry Potter and BuzzFeed. So I am especially interested in talking all about that. In almost six years at BuzzFeed, you went from account strategist to VP global business strategy, which is so impressive. So just talk to me about that journey and ultimately what your role in global business strategy actually entailed.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for being a loyal BuzzFeed fan. I have some brilliant, you know, old colleagues that would just love hearing that that are probably <laughs> equally as enthusiastic about Harry Potter. So, I guess I'll start from the beginning to take a larger step back to say that I come from a super entrepreneurial family okay. and I was born in New York where, you know, my my great-grandparents came over from Eastern Europe, settled down in Brooklyn in the Lower East Side and really weren't part of our traditional institutions here in the US. Mm -hmm. And so education wasn't necessarily the priority. It was really about starting your own business with what your skills were, what your hard skills were. And so I learned a lot about being relentless and about being scrappy from my family really early on. And I think that was a huge driver of the way that I started my career. Mm -hmm. And so I started my career in the media marketing world. I was doing media planning and marketing for Frito-Lay, GlaxoSmithKline, Warner Brothers, some incredible companies uh, through the world of media agencies. It was around that time that I got a call from a now kindred member, actually, a friend and mentor of mine who was an early salesperson at BuzzFeed. And he said, you seem to sell BuzzFeed so well to your clients. Why don't you come here and sell BuzzFeed? And I didn't want to be a seller. I'm not a traditional salesperson. And I asked if there were any strategy roles. Um, This was early 2014 and we created one. And so I started my career at Buzzfeed to your point as an account strategist. And over the course of nearly seven years, I had eight different jobs at Buzzfeed. I think it really speaks to the entrepreneurial spirit that the company has, being able to move through an organization. And while you're moving, moving up, but moving sideways at the same time. I would say my career was non-linear in a sense, um, but at the end of the day, the dots connect when you look back. So I ended my career as VP of Global Business Strategy, but in in between, in those seven roles, five of those roles were net new. So what I mean Mm. by that is that I was starting new roles, new positions, new teams quite frequently over the course of those seven years. I was surrounded by some incredible mentors. More importantly, I was surrounded by incredible sponsors that were able to pull me through the organization in a way that was founded in innovation, um, a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart. Understanding that moving where the business is going and having the foresight to move in that direction really helped me accelerate my career over the course of those seven years.
0: I think there's something mixed in there with inherent seniority. And I don't mean just from a hierarchy point of view. I know that a lot of the times when somebody starts their career, what they are is a sponge, right? Like soaking in, gaining the skills. And I I find it really interesting that, you know, in one of your first jobs, of course, BuzzFeed was not your first uh, job out of college, but you were creating these roles. And I know you mentioned mentors and sponsors that were helping you do that along the way. But where do you think that initiative and maybe perhaps confidence came from to say, hey, I want to be doing this, not that when ultimately somebody could say, well, hey, you're not the director, CEO, whatever, whatever it may be. It's a great question, because
1: I have always entered the workforce with a learning mentality. And I've been surrounded by peers that went from college to business school and spent those years developing inherent business skills. And I always looked at the workforce as business school that paid me. And so I have consistently looked at my job as education. And so walking into a CEO's office, walking into my boss's office, walking into a peer's office was always quite easy for me because it was a learning opportunity. And so as I think about who those mentors and sponsors were, they were people that created a safe space for me to learn and fail. And I've taken all of that and applied it to my leadership skills because at the end of the day, vulnerability to me is one of the most important skill sets of a leader. Maybe it's because I've been in therapy since I was 11. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, vulnerability is a skill and humility is a skill. And learning how to turn that on and off in a professional environment has been a real driver of my career.
0: Spot on. Today we are seeing that a lot of Gen Z young professionals who have never been in that in-person environment who can like feel out those moments of when can you be vulnerable and say, you know, I'm struggling or I have anxiety versus when like this notion of being a professional comes in. I've seen it in girls that I mentor that they just, they don't really know how to behave right in this, in this workplace. It's a really interesting point that you're bringing up. We'll get all into kindred, but, going off of the point that you said about that vulnerability and, and some of those other things that you mentioned today, you're on kind of the other side of the table. So if you know a more senior or a more junior employee comes to you and says, hey, this is a role that I think I should have or a role that we should create, you know, as you hear them out, what are you really looking for them to tell you for you to be bought into that that's actually a good idea?
1: So on a weekly basis, when I meet with my team, my direct reports, or even folks you know, across the organization, I ask three questions. The first is, what lit you up this week? What do you love doing here? The second is, what did you hate doing this week? And number three is, what are the skill sets you want to learn next week? And you should have an answer to all of those three things on a weekly basis for yourself, because that's going to start eliminating and adding to your to-do list in a way that helps you grow as a professional. And so when someone on my team says, hey, I think I actually might fit into the organization in a different way. It's not a role just yet, but maybe we can figure out a way for me to take that on. That conversation lights me up. I want to help people realize their full potential. And if someone Mm -hmm. is not thriving in their current role, it's my job as a leader to open up the door so that they could actually excel in that area. So I think about skill set rather than role and title as something that helps you move through an organization and right. it's reflected in the way that I in the way that I lead.
0: Recently I was listening to another podcast with one of our board members Kit Krugman. She was on this podcast, I think it's called Up Next, and she talks all about organizational design and how, you know, companies do a lot of these like surveys around employee happiness and ESG matters and other sorts of matters, but where do you find the balance of questioning and asking your employees about how they feel and how things are going too often. And when are you doing it too infrequently, which I think there is something to be said about, you know, the way that you're approaching this on a continuous, ongoing basis. You mentioned that you've had a little bit of an untraditional career. What I really see is, you know, you have that perfect mix of commercial and marketing, a top communications degree, and, and quite deep expertise in your area. But does it feel like you're in this second life of your career, where in many ways, you have started over learning to new areas from, I guess, scratch?
1: You know, I think about life expectancy when you talk about that question. <laughs> Zoya. And we, we are all expected to live longer than we were 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And then you layer on top of that women in the workforce and how we have entered this amazing time. You know, I identify as a millennial as well. And I think about this world of possibility where we're not going to retire at 60. And I I think about my grandparents who are in their 80s who still commute an hour and a half to work every day. This is what we're in for. And in the best way possible, we are all likely going to reinvent ourselves and our careers five, six, seven, eight times. And so I don't think about this as the second act. I think about this as a point in my career that exists on the continuum. And Mm. what am I going to learn in this experience that's going to help me build the next thing? And that's, that excites me. And it it really flips it all on its head as you think about education and the idea that that's really never over. You mentioned something about employees and how much time to invest, how much energy to invest in employee engagement and employee happiness. You know, I, I think about employee happiness and satisfaction, in the same way that I think about productivity and influence within an organization. 2020 really profoundly changed the role of business, as you know, Edelman's trust barometer study would say, is the only institution left with some trust in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Then I look
1: at last year, 2021, and I think that that really was a year that uniquely disrupted us in modern business history. 2022, as we're in the beginning of it, is truly the year that is going to rewrite the leadership playbook because the rules have changed. And it is on us to actually redefine leadership in a way that supports our employees, our customers, and hopefully our communities and intern society, because there is no more influential institution
0: than business right now. And ultimately, with the lines blurring of where is home and where is business and where is happiness, like all of those things are, are, have already meshed into one. So as we dive into that, you mentioned that you are coming from your background. This entrepreneurial gene has sounds like it has always been a part of your uh, trajectory. Was starting this company at the time when you started it, uh, you know, was that something intentional or did you find this problem to solve and pull the trigger? How did that go down for you?
1: Well, some of the best advice I ever received was never leave somewhere, go somewhere. And so it it brings intentionality into every decision that you make. Toward my seventh year at BuzzFeed, I was realizing that I was an entrepreneurial person within an entrepreneurial environment. And even though I was starting new businesses and new teams, I was doing so within the confines of the four walls of BuzzFeed with the protective layer that a large organization is helping you stand up. And so that's really when I started my quest to say, maybe I can take this entrepreneurial spirit and start something of my own, enter a company at the early stage, the growth stage. And so I started doing some networking in the venture space. And at the end of every meeting that I had, I would ask one question, which was, who are three other people that came to mind during our conversation that you think I should meet? Mm-hmm. So three coffees you know, exploded into 90 coffees over the course of six or seven months And I ended up being connected with my co-founder, Ian Schaefer, over a coffee ourselves. And what I realized is that while the original iteration of Kindred was completely different, we were originally set out, this was before 2020, we originally set out to create a conference business. Think about it as a new age Davos, a more accessible Davos, a way to bring Mm -hmm. environmental, social, and governance issues to the forefront of conversation So our mission has remained consistent, even though we pivoted through the pandemic quite successfully. The mission since day one was to redefine leadership, but the opportunity to build something from the ground floor was something that I had been craving my entire career. And I don't know a better time that I could have done that for myself during that transition. I look back and and think how I was gifted the opportunity to not only join something super early, but join during a time where my resilience was tested and my adaptability was tested. There's really no other categories that as a founder of a small business could define success, which is your ability to navigate through change.
0: And your own experience is, I think, really similar to what you are taking other leaders through, you know, in relation to your company. Do you want to just give a brief overview of, of the problem that you are solving with the company? Of course.
1: So, you know, as I mentioned, I come from the digital disruption world. I spent my years on that specific topic. And throughout my career, it was becoming more and more clear that the next wave of business disruption was coming from the environmental, social, and governance world. Topics like mental health, racial justice, workplace culture, climate, COVID-19, retention. You know, the list goes on. But at the end of the day, these were topics that were no longer just boardroom discussions. These were topics that were entering team meetings, one-on-ones, a new level of accountability to executives today in the business world we're being asked and today's average executive is quite frankly, unprepared to deal with this new level of accountability.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And so we took a look around to understand what is available to leaders today to really help them navigate this evolving business landscape in a world where learning and development is shifting itself as an industry. And so we launched Kindred, which is a community for purpose-driven leaders in October of 2020. And since that time, over 300 organizations have signed up to be members of Kindred, and what we offer our members is the opportunity to connect and support them with access to experts, access to peers, access to education in the environmental, social, and governance space to help them prepare for the next decade of business.
0: And no time like the present to do that. I mean, we've touched on it a few times in this conversation. You mentioned it, but you provide a sounding board and education and network and community to really discuss these matters and, of course, networking related to ESG. My first question in relation to that is when I think about ESG, I think about how that looks so different at every single company. So obviously, Women in Innovation is a decentralized nonprofit with 100% volunteer base, I work at a major financial institution with 200,000 employees. Both of these companies can kind of join Kindred and benefit from its offerings. But I'm curious as to would you put those two companies together in a room? Do you have separate tracks? Or how do you really meet people where they are on their ESG user journey, if you will?
1: Absolutely. So, so Kindred is a place where we really offer three things. We offer the opportunity to build your community. We offer the opportunity to strengthen your leadership and also to increase your impact. And all of that is grounded, as I mentioned, in environmental, social, and governance topics. When we take a step back to say, what are professionally focused communities that are really shifting learning and development for leadership today? And outside the workplace where peers are knowledge sharing and growing their networks, those communities are typically built around shared professional experiences like identity, industry, function. We built a value-based community one where our values are driving our outputs. And so putting those two companies in a room together, that is, it is hugely valuable to make sure that professionals from different industries, from different departments, from you know different categories are able to come into the same room and say, you know what? I am also dealing with a hefty number of employees resigning from my company. How are you dealing with this? Hey, Juneteenth was just declared a national holiday. Are you giving your employees off? There was an unforeseen or significant cultural event, and one of my employees was triggered by that, and I'm managing through this. Do you have any great resources or advice for helping me do that? It doesn't matter if you're a head of finance, a head of marketing, a head of people. These are questions that cut through identity, that cut through industry, and cut through function. Right. So to your question, for us at Kindred, we're maniacally focused on creating connections on the topics that matter not on the functions that do, not on the industry that does. And that's why we find such authentic connections through our network, because you find people that are mission aligned, that are value aligned, that are purpose aligned. And we've seen partnerships launch. We've seen business being done. We've had members hire each other. That's the magic that happens when you really ground yourself in a value-based community.
0: In order to get to that place, I imagine, of openness and saying, you know, half my company quit or X, Y, Z happened, what you really have to innovate is on creating psychological safety, not just as a company managing its employees, but like you said, you're doing it cross-functionally in the sense of different kinds of organizations, different industries. So when you think about the ways that you've innovated to create your product or your offering, what sort of aspects of innovation have been important to you to be able to reach those things that you are talking about. Yeah,
1: so when I when I think about innovation, I think about the questions that we need to ask ourselves as leaders, that we ask ourselves at Kindred every day and the ones that we encourage our members to ask. Questions like are you adopting a strong growth mindset? Is your organization ready for the energy transition? Are you embracing new technology? Are you investing in human capital? These are questions that are going to allow innovation to actually take hold because you're asking yourself the necessary questions in the short term to have a long-term impact. And that's where innovation happens at Kindred. You know, I, I think about ESG and inclusion as two topics that are no longer edge case investments or edge case priorities. These are core to company mission. For me, when I think about innovation in those two spaces, yes, there's technological advancements that are going to get us there faster. But business's impact on society. And I mean, you think about COVID-19 and the, the way business stepped in to really help uh, in terms of that, the vaccine, that took collaboration, that took putting ego aside, that took influence and put it aside. And it said, let me work with others in order to get somewhere faster. And that's where I see the, the biggest shift happening at every level in business.
0: When you think about Kindred as a platform or a digital product, what are some of the principles or approaches that you took to design this product in order to to create a conducive environment for all of those things to happen?
1: Yeah, you know, I think about our company values and the way that we live and breathe it as the Kindred team. And we ask our members to show up in the same way. We ask our partners to show up in the same way. Values like participation. In order to get something out of this experience, you need to give something to it. Values like doubt. We exist within systems that deserve to be questioned. How do you show up with a curious mentality and one that does ask the necessary questions? We think about inclusion. How do we make sure that we create a safe space for everyone to show up in a world where everyone is welcome? And that's one of our core values. And so we kept all of that in mind as we built this product, knowing that all kindred members are coming in at different points on their journey. We have sustainability experts. We have heads of diversity, equity, and inclusion within their organizations. So these folks can learn, but they can also teach within the environment. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a multi-dimensional community in that sense where the knowledge exchange is really in the power of community. Um, and that's really what gets me excited. The topics that we cover at Kindred re- really boil down into three categories. The first is leadership development, long-term skills as you think about how do you manage an organization, manage employees, manage yourself. The second is in environmental, social, and governance topics, ways that you can upskill yourself, ways that you can enter a room more informed to make a better decision on behalf of your company. And the third is in the future of work, workplace culture, understanding that we're both calling in right now from our own apartments, knowing Mm -hmm. that we're all working in this remote environment right now, if we're lucky enough to do so. And so just understanding that the future of work is shifting before our eyes and how we all step up to the plate is going to really define how we succeed.
0: As a startup founder, as a nimble tech company with community at its center, you are tackling huge issues. And I know you are not the inventor of of the ESG phrase, but I always have found it so interesting that three distinctly massive concepts are being kind of lumped together, right? You know, just tackling environment as a organization, I think is huge. Just tackling social issues is huge. I mean, again, I work at a bank. Governance is like, it's not just about like the SEC. It's about how are we, you know, building in processes. And you, of course, mentioned leadership development as well as the future of work. So my question to you is, is broadly speaking, how do you approach prioritization? And do you think of some of those things that we mentioned as distinct things? Or do you try to consistently create a holistic feature solution that addresses all things at once?
1: So the first thing I'll say is, you know, what what you started with, which is the work is heavy. This is this is real work. Mm. And I, I couldn't continue on in this conversation without acknowledging the Kindred team that every day lives and breathes this work, even though it could be deflating in a sense, because every single day it's a grind to bring the most urgent topics to the surface on behalf of our members.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When I think about E, S, and G, there's companies focused on each of those letters. We can play the acronym game and go through DEI and CSR. (laughs) But I think about these acronyms in the same way that I think about myself and about humans. And the word intersectionality comes to mind. I'm an intersectional woman. I'm white. I'm a New Yorker. I'm gay, I'm Jewish, I'm all of these things. And this is the way that I show up in the world and this is the way that I show up into work. And I can't ignore any of that when I enter a space, they all show up together. And so in the same way, I think about climate justice cannot exist without racial justice. Everything, all of the topics we cover are completely intersectional. And so what Kindred does is it allows you to find the through line that while you might not be an expert on all things, The awareness and the education across this space is essential to be able to have an impact in one, if not all of these areas. And that's why we offer a space where education, support and connection across a wide range of topics is covered because we see intersectionality as a a key pillar of what we're doing.
0: I think about how much of your own DNA is sprinkled into this product, which is super exciting and and super meaningful and why I think diverse leadership is really, really important. You mentioned these concepts not living really in a vacuum, which I completely agree with. I also think about how your company and your entrepreneurial journey and your identity is also, you know, not living in a vacuum as you've approached things like fundraising or pitching your company to these, you know, other businesses, these large corporations. What role do you think your own intersectionality has had with that experience as an entrepreneur, as a COO, as a CEO, as a founder?
1: You know, you said earlier gracefully that you looked at my resume and Maybe I am more of a salesperson. Maybe I am more of a business person than I let out to be. But I believe that at the end of the day, people want to do business with people. And it's, it's all relationships. And so whether someone's investing in Kindred, someone whether someone is joining as a member, whether I'm catching up with a member and they refer someone else to, to the community, they're talking to me. They're talking to a member of the Kindred team. And so everything that I am is brought to the business and everything that the entire Kindred team is, is brought to the business. We couldn't do this work if we didn't bring ourselves into the work because it's that closely tied together. And so I would say that my my personal journey, my journey as a founder, as a COO, as a CEO, these are these are just titles. These are just functions and roles. But one thing that's remained consistent is myself, my values and how I show up to a space. Some great advice that I've gotten from a mentor, friend and teacher how you transition is how you arrive. And I think about this quite often, how you arrive in a space, how you arrive into a meeting, uh, how you arrive to a day and the focus not on the arrival, but on the transition to get there. And I do think about how my transition throughout my career has allowed me to arrive into this spot. And we talk about that often within Kindred of how do you do so gracefully? Because you have to start creating space for others to arrive authentically. In order to do this work.
0: What a powerful quote. I mean, that's going to stick with me for, for a while. I do have to say as as a New Yorker, I, I think about like transit, like actual public transit. And you know, even as you're talking about this, I know you weren't referring to the MTA, but it makes me think about how very physically on our way to work pre-pandemic times, or I guess semi-during pandemic times with this commute, you are kind of stepping into this mindset of being ready to take on the day. And I know that you were talking about it in in a larger sense, but it makes me think about some of those moments and the importance of really showing up to work authentically and, and how you can do that, not just in a large scale across your career, but also on the day to day. So I guess with that, I would love to ask you one last innovation question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now?
1: I've stepped away from trying to predict that, so I'm not going to change the question (laughs) on you, but what I'm going to say is that the corporate training industry is a $360 billion industry, and it is just starting to be disrupted. When I think about the next month, when I think about the next year, when I think about the next 10 years, I think about the fact that 50% of corporations Are investing more this year over last year in leadership development, and that is going to only increase over the next decade. Where I see Kindred playing a role in that over the next decade is to become the go-to solution for leaders to show up in a value-based community to accelerate their careers. I'm just lucky to play a part in that. So I, I look forward to the next month. We change something every day at Kindred, and so I'm excited to see what that looks like Over the next year, I hope to continue to work with brilliant minds and just continue to grow our team so I can work with way smarter people than I am. And over the next decade, I can't wait to watch the shift in business and its impact on society and for Kindred to play an essential role in that.
0: I love it. And I guess since you semi-turned the question on me, I'm going to throw a bonus question for you. And knowing that you're an entrepreneur and knowing that this is honestly just the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey in some ways, if Kindred didn't exist today and you were to start a new company, whether that's in 10 years, one year, five years, uh, what are some industries or problems that excite you to solve?
1: I'll tell you, if Kindred didn't exist tomorrow, I'd be shifting my time to write a children's book. That's been an aspiration of mine for a while, and so I'll say it out loud as many times as I could in order to make sure that I actually do it one day. If Kindred didn't exist and I were to go into a completely separate industry, you'd find me in the mental health space. I love it. How we democratize access to mental health care and how we support our employees uh, in corporate America through the, the challenging times of mental health, especially as we're moving through a global pandemic. It's a it's a topic that is near and dear to my heart and one that I hope to focus more of my time on over the next 10 years.
0: Frankly, all of those things have so much to do with each other that I think your clear vision and empathy as a leader is is super inspiring and clear. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Win-Win Podcast. Thank you, Zoya. I so
1: appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Win-Win, brought to you by WIN, women in innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit WomenInInnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.